0: minister the Word of God on a particular subject actually. We've been ministering for two weeks, now three, on a subject called, Is You Ready? Ready? So point to yourself with me this morning and say, hey you, hey, you. get you, ready. Get you ready. ready, ready. All right. Hallelujah. So turn with me to Proverbs chapter 29, if you would, in your Bible. Proverbs 29. I want to lift up the Lord Jesus that Looks ahead and tells us what's going to happen and looks ahead and provides for what's going to happen. I want to lift up the Lord who's always there, a very present help in time of trouble. He is the Lord God and he is the source of every good thing. I want to lift him up this morning. You know, it's not enough to experience life. Everybody has to experience life in some form, but you have to interpret life. If you're going to have success, lots of questions out there, lots of things like why is this happening and why are they doing this and why are and why is God not paying attention to me? You know, how come I did this and he didn't do anything? He just forgot it. And like Melissa said, it's, uh, you know, does God remember one thing about heaven? Good thing. Lots of good things about heaven is is that it's fair. And everything that happened on earth that didn't seem fair will be rectified and justified in heaven, if not before. We're saying it'll be before. So before we begin this morning from a scripture, we want to ask the questions, always want to ask a question. How does, how does God work? How does he work? What is his deal? You know, we, we can pretty much, if we know how he's working, we can adjust. People say, well, why did God let my baby die? How, how does he work? And then in just without even a pausing for a breath, they begin to tell you why they think God let their baby die or their, lose their job or something. Everybody's got an answer, and um, they're almost always wrong because they don't know how God works. And so if you don't have context for your life, then you don't know what to do. You don't know whether to hit this button or hit that button, whether to go forward, to go back. And so every day is just a day of, of trial and error, of experience. Like, okay, I, I did this and this happened. But the next time you might not know what to do to make it happen again. Lots of people get miracles, but most of the time they don't know what they did in order to step into that marvelous restoration and, uh, of God. And so they can't duplicate it, and so therefore it dies. It's gone. So how does God work in your life? We might say it this way: What is God's? What is heaven's protocol? What does He expect? Does He expect us to toe the line? Most of uh, most of the Christian world believes that God is a God of wrong and right. That He's Santa Claus. Better watch out, because. He's looking for naughty boys and naughty girls and good boys. and He's looking, and, that's, and that is the protocol. So most people, almost all Christians, are condemned. They, they'd always, we always fall short, and we always think we fall short, or we're nervous because we don't know where the line is. Well, am I on the salvation side, the heaven side, or am I on the hell side? And, and God doesn't work that way at all, at all. None of the time ever, God doesn't work that way. So I wrote down some things about wondering how, what is heaven's protocol? How does God work? And so we'll ask these in question form. Does everything happen for a reason because God is in control? Lots of people are asking that question. Does everything happen for a reason? God's in control. So uh, naturally, when something negative happens, they say God's in control. Everything happens for a reason. And so it puts us in a pause mode, doesn't it, if you believe that, of waiting for God to justify the bad thing that just happened. Well, God's in control. This must be higher than my pay grade, so to speak. I must not be smart enough or spiritual enough for God to tell me why this happened. Therefore, I'm just going to wait with bated breath to see why this bad thing happened. What good is it going to come out? Or is God trying to teach me a lesson? Another thing that we would ask is, uh, does God do things that uh, hurt your faith, but somehow will turn out good for you? Kind of like on the first one. It's like, God, this is hard on my faith. My baby's gone. Uh, My husband, the provider of our house and father of three kids and all that. Suddenly he's gone, he died, he, he's maimed, he's whatever. And you're in charge, you're in control, and why did this happen? Uh, it's hard on me. That's what people would say. If you listen to them very long, they'll say, I'll never get over it. That's the confession they make. I'll, I'll take this to my grave, I'll never get over it. Here's another question to ask if, if you're wondering how God works. Does God open one door, uh, close one door and open another door? I hear this all the time. You're just living your life and all of a sudden a door closes and then the door is supposed to open because that's how God works. Or does he? Does God close doors to guide us, to set our path? You're going down a long hall and there's open doors on both sides and suddenly doors close and suddenly doors open. Uh, does God work in mysterious ways to perform wonders and miracles? Mysterious ways. No one could know why that happened. Does that happen? No, it doesn't. There's nothing mysterious. You can know everything about your life, everything that's happening in your life, from the Word or by Holy Ghost, everything there is except somebody else's business. He won't tell you about other people's business, but he'll tell you all about your business. He's a good God. You'll, you know, we just you have not because you ask not. Hallelujah. Uh, does God sometimes want your precious things? that would be our children, our family, or something that's dear to us. Does God sometimes want your precious things so much that He's willing to snatch them out of your hands and take them to heaven? We hear this all the time at funerals. God needed this person, or uh, we were watching Steel Magnolias, a little excerpt the other day, and after uh, Doodle Dee died, everybody had an answer, some of it was, well, God knew she couldn't take care of the baby, so he it just went on and on. It was, just, it was completely just made up as it went. Uh, here's another one. Does everyone have a time to die? A time when God just takes them from the earth because of his heavenly timing. Does everybody have a time to die? Well, you know, that'll make a difference on how you believe or what you expect, or it'll put a certain amount of distrust in you. Uh, to say, I, is there something I can do to delay that? It's, it's, it's all confusing. Does God ever hold back blessings because He knows that for certain people it would ruin them? Have you ever heard that? Oh, I've heard it many times. I, You know, not when they think I'm the preacher. I, I just sidle up next to them and listen, and they think I'm just a regular guy, you know, or whatever, and they'll start saying, oh, this is how it works. But I'm telling you right now that all those things I mentioned... None of those are in heaven's protocol. None of those are the way he operates. None of those are his operating system. None of those. Even when it seems like uh, something turned out real well that was terrible, it was terrible, but it turned out good. People say, well, God did the terrible thing so he could get the good thing. But actually, the devil did the bad thing, and God just turned what was meant for evil into good. But we think, well, it turned out good. It must have been God that started it or did it. He's a great rescuer. He's just so good. In Proverbs 29, 18, now if I told you that all those things that I just mentioned, those hypothetical, this is what I think, that how God works, were, were incorrect, you might have to examine your theology or your perspective or your context and say, man, I don't know what to do. Sure you do. Ask God. How do you work? Where is the? What's the owner's manual? You made me. You put me in the earth. I had nothing to do with my gender, my race, my age, my family, uh, my nationality. You put me down here. So what's up, God? And he'll start talking. He'll start saying. He'll start showing. But nobody asks. They just go to the default of these things and say, well, God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to reform. And uh, God God knows that if, uh, you know, that I can't handle much money, it would ruin me. So he keeps me poor. He keeps me you know, outside of the blessing of uh, other people have, because he just knows. He just knows, and so he's and he's opening doors. He's closing doors because he knows best, and then he's opening doors, and it must be that I can't go into that door, that part of life, that decision, that thing, so I'm not even going to try to push on the door because the door closed, but I'm going to go through this open door. I'm going to marry uh doodle do, doodle do I'm gonna marry him because the door opened. He, you know he asked me or whatever. The door opened. God must oh y'all know anybody that's in cruddy marriages because the door opened? Oh yeah. Uh Proverbs twenty nine, eighteen, are y'all there? It says in verse eighteen, Where let's read it together. King James, let's do that together. Ready read. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Where there is no vision, uh, the word there for vision is progressive vision, not just a one-time event. It's a video. It's not a still shot. Uh, the people perish. Where there is no progressive vision. Now, I looked it up in another version because I knew you'd ask. In the Passion. Passion has a Proverbs and a Song of Solomon now. So uh, 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 it says in the Passion, when, when there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray where there is no clear prophetic vision vision would be where you see things outside of your eyesight you see things behind the scenes you see things that are spiritual not that you literally see them but i looked up the word perish in the hebrew you know there's I, i'm not hebrew i don't know hebrew but i can i can read so i looked it up and the word perish because it says Without a vision, they perish. What does that mean? Well, one thing that the Hebrew means is says they go backwards. Now, just plug, plug that in to not knowing what God's context, His heaven's protocol is, how His operating system is. If you don't have a vision, because you can never nail it down, you can never say it's this way or that way, because a lot of the things people think in religion are contradictory. They'll believe this, and then they'll believe that, and you can't have both, but they never see it. So it says they go backwards. Have you ever been backwards? Have you ever had a part of your life and it's like we're not not only are we not making progress, not not only we're we not just standing still, we're going backwards. I've I've been there, lost ground because I didn't know what God had in mind. So I assumed. Assume, assumption is the lowest form of knowledge. it will always get you in trouble to assume. It'll get somebody mad at you because you'll just assume they were this or that, and so you said this or that, and all of a sudden you're slapped. Not necessarily naturally, but, uh, you know. So it means uh, uh, without a vision, the people do without. It's literally in the definition. Look it up. They do without. Without a vision, uh oh you do without. Well, I thought God was just withholding because he knew that I couldn't handle it. Nope, you just didn't have a vision, and so you're doing without. Well, it's God's in control. No, you just, uh, one thing we have to do is figure out what's God's part and what's our part. If God's in control, we don't have a part. We just sit around like a, a bowling ball in the rack and just wait on something to happen. But if God's waiting on me, wow, I better pay attention. I better know it's my move, like in checkers. I better know that he's already moved and it's my move, And that we don't play checkers with getting two moves in a row. He makes a move, then we make a move. Uh, The word also means, oh, this is something. Perish means they are set at naught. Not means to nothing. They are set at naught. It means they are refused. Without a vision, the people are refused and voided. So it's like you don't exist if you don't have a vision. Let's just get real crystal, crystal clear here. If you don't have a vision of your future, you have no future. You're just, you're just that pinball in the machine that's just rocked between uh, this bell and that bell until you finally go down the chute. Y'all ever play pinball? <laughs> uh, now, this one's a little more graphic. It says, without a vision, a progressive vision, the people are uncovered and made naked. Now, just think about that. In public, can you get anything done with your life if you don't have any clothes on? Mm-hmm. No, I mean you're you're not thinking about we let's let's get up today and go downtown with no clothes on and we'll get something done. You that's going to be a wasted day. Well, it won't be wasted. You you'll learn a few things. But it says they are uncovered and made naked. But I tell you, it's not us. We have a vision. If we don't, we're in transit. We're in progress of getting a vision of defining God's plan, how he works, his modus operandi, and putting ourselves in that system, that OS, putting ourselves in it and working our life under the constraints of his will. Not bucking up and saying, I think it's this way. I think God just takes your kids because he needs a rose for his garden. Well, you're going to be, i tell you, you're going to be one mad puppy all your life. If you think that, if you think God took it, took somebody, one of your babies, your husband. Yeah, God needed my husband. He's making $1,000 a week, and now we, we have nothing. And that was real smooth on God's part. But God had wisdom there, but nobody can figure it out because it's not true. So we got, we got to change it. Now, this scripture, I'm going to read you the 2 Corinthians 4.18. It's one of the most powerful words in the, in the Word. It says, uh, the King James says, while we look not at those things which are seen. The TE, the, uh, the English version, says we fix our attention not on things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. So we're talking about without a vision, people perish. They are naked. They are brought to naught. They are voided. Because they're looking at things that are seen, naturally speaking, but without a vision, without something on the outside of what you see, your life is nothing. You are just passing through. You, you, you had some victories. You got a little raise. You got uh, two kids. You, you, but then you have lots of devastation. You're just passing through just exactly like the world. The world, I'm talking about unbelievers, are just passing through. They're negotiating life. They're buying insurance and they're uh, pl- making a 401k. And they're just—they're trying to negotiate their life to get the most optimum outcome. And they're caring. They're worrying. They're fretting. They're anxious. They're nervous. President Trump does this. The Congress does that. And you—you you can see how the world works by just watching the markets. Just when they go up, everybody's happy and optimistic, and it looks like a good day. But one thing happens. We, we lob a, a missile over and, and kill a bad guy in Iraq, and, you know, it, it changes the whole world. The whole world changes because a pilot or a drone, they hit the button. That one button affected everybody. Well, we're not supposed to be like that. We have a vision. We looked in the book and found out how it's supposed to turn out, and we said, I'm going to go that way. And so our life is not moved. I said, President Trump, I don't know if you're supposed to hit that or not. I would. I'm a little salty like you are, but it's not going to change my life. It'll change what I do, but it won't change the outcome. It may change how I get to where I'm going because of the system and the nation I live in and and the, the age I'm at and the whatever, whatever that's peculiar to me, but it won't change the outcome I'm getting there because I have a vision. And I'm not going to be naked going down the street. <laughs> it hurts people. <laughs> it's not kind. Hallelujah. Uh, so, so we're going to call this series, Is Your Ready Ready? We've been looking at a laser focus. You need to be focused. You need to hone in. But what do you need to hone in on? You need a vision. You need a plan. You need the, the blueprint for your life. You, you need to know something. You need a, uh, like, monopoly it says, do not pass go, do not collect $200. Well, we know go is where you start, and you get your $200 every time you go around go. Y- y'all play Monopoly, don't you? Hallelujah. So that's the starting spot. You say, God, here I am. I'm here. I'm born again. I'm spirit-filled. I love you with all my heart, but I ask you to help me so I can love you more. What do you want me to do with my one and only life? Because if I can get on your track, it's already supplied. Supplied. God's plan's already supplied. He's already got people coming in and intersecting that particular locale. Your job is to be at the right place at the right time because that's where the money is. Everybody thinks, well, God knows where I am. If he wants to supply me, he can. No, he's already sent the supply, the influence, the people, the opportunity, the job, the car. He's already put that place in the place that we're supposed to be. Our job is to wake up every day, say, Lord, here am I. What do you want me to do? Go here and go there. Read this and don't do not do this. And we just say, yes, sir. And then all of a sudden, everything just works out marvelously. Yay. So is your ready ready? Is your vision ready? Do, here's the question. Do you see what's coming? Because if you know behind the scenes, you're not surprised when something happens. Uh, uh, Joe Morris teaches every Wednesday a little 8 to 12-minute clip. On the end times. It's called the end times, end days update. And he just points in the Bible what's already been told about what's going to happen. It's like, surprised? No, we're not surprised. We already saw it coming. Well, if you can know that, you can know about your own life. You can know what's coming. Point yourself with me and say, hey, you can know what's coming. We're not in the dark. You never know what God's going to do. Sure you do. Sure you do. If you can't read, then you can just listen to the Holy Ghost. He'll talk in your language, at your speed, your dialect, whatever, and he'll tell you what he's going to do. But you have to ask. You have to say, Lord, there's a space here for you to tell me. Or you can just be arrogant and prideful and and be your own master and own ruler and just say, I don't need God. I think I can do just fine on my own. You'd be contradicting generations and hundreds of years of people that were smart, maybe as smart as you, maybe smarter than you, that said, I can do it on my own and failed, went, went in the ditch, had a sorrowful life, had a hard time. Not to say that Christians don't. But it's when we know the will of God and we are willful and say, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) But if you if you hear the voice of the good shepherd, and that's what born again people do, we hear what Jesus is saying by the Holy Ghost. And when he says to do it, we say, is there any power to do that? Is there any funding to do that? Is there any energy to do that? And he's sure, sure. What I'm calling you to do, I'm going to supply for you to do. You go, well, Lord, that's a deal. The Bible says in Corinthians that even he gives seed to the sower, that when he asks you and me to give, he doesn't even say, don't, you don't have to give it out of your own money. I already put the seed in your money. All you got to do is find it in there. It's in there. It looks like regular money, but it's the seed I put in you. Take that out and put it in the plate or give it to the orphans or give it to, I've already given you seed. Well, Lord, it looks like it's all my paycheck, you know. He said, well, if you'll figure it out, you'll know I already blessed you with the seed to sow. What to do with your life plus a seed to sow. I already," He said, I already put it in there. Really? But you got to see that. you got to know that inside that he doesn't even ask you to sacrifice. I'm not even sacrificing when I give because he gave me the seed. Well, I think it'd be the same. Just try that for a few days, years. Just say, you know, I, I don't need God. I'll sow out of my own. Whew. Put your seatbelt on and put your foot on the brake because you're going down. Now, that's just the truth. I like this. Turn to front, First Chronicles chapter 11. Now, that's Chronicles. That's over there where the, the pages stick together. Chronicles. <laughs> like, ah, chapter 11. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I just love this. I found it one day years ago, and I have never come off of it. So here's the question we're asking. Are you prepared? Are you focused? Are you ready for what's coming, for what's not seen and, not, and for what's not heard? You didn't read it in the newspaper. You didn't get it on the evening news, but you know some things inside What can you do with that? You should live a great life with that. We've got to start trusting the vision that's inside of us, the blueprint, and trusting less what the boss says. Well, I can promote you and put you over in this department, and it'll be real good for you. And then find out six months later they eliminate the department, and they don't need you anymore. Should have checked in with God. Amen. First Chronicles chapter 11. There's a long story behind this, but it doesn't matter. It's got Philistines in it. It's got Israel in it. It's got war in it. It's got all sorts of stuff in it. But in verse 4, it says, David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jebus, where the Jebusites are. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Jebus is where the Jebusites are, the inhabitants of the land. And the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, thou shalt not come hither, nevertheless, David took the castle of Zion, which is the city of David. Verse 6, this is where we're going. You ought to have a star around this. I hope you do. And David said, whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. So Joab, the son of Zariah, went up first and was chief. So is your ready ready? His was. Did, did they have a two-day notice and says, you know, the king's, uh, David's going to announce this, so everybody says, well, let me up front, let me up front. No, nobody knew. Um, the Amplified says that Joab went up first, and so he was made chief. He was made chief, not because he was the top uh, uh, guy on, in, the, in the ditch or wherever they were behind the wall, But because he was first, because the rule that David had said, whoever goes up first, I'll make them chief and captain. And Joab, there's a lot of guys that heard that at the same time. But Joab was already in his track shoes. He already had his hands on the, you know, how they, they race and take off. He was already in the blocks. And so when David said, whoever goes up first, boom, there's a blur and Joab is out of the ditch. Behind the wall, heading towards some poor, unsuspecting Jebusite, fixing to lose his life because Joab wanted to be captain. Well, it's no different now, but you got to see it like Joab did. You had to. You have to see what's coming and get you ready. Ready. Uh, the uh, the T E V the English version says Joab led the attack and became commander. Ah, right, you've got to be a leader. You, you, why did Peter get out of the boat by himself? Because there was 11 boys that couldn't see it until they saw Peter. Now, the Lord Jesus was already out there. He wasn't like, well, you've never seen this before. He's out there walking. But Peter said, if it be thou, Lord, bid me come. Well, it was him. So Jesus had to say, come. <laughs> he tells the truth. And so there he is. Peter's out on the water, and the other 11, who knows what they were doing, but I can tell you the Bible says they weren't on the water. They were in that hardwood boat. So Joab said, I know what's coming. I know how this thing works. I'm going to get my ready ready. I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to get myself positioned. I'm going to have my sword already out while he's just sitting around, standing around, saying, hmm, wonder what we should do. Swords out, track shoes on, got my stance, and I'm ready. And as soon as it happened, boom, Joab was out. Now, I don't know what happened. None of us do. But it was obvious to the outcome that Joab was first, and he qualified. The Bible says he was chief and captain. He was commander. Uh, Why did Joab get that job? Listen, he saw it before it came. Without a vision, a progressive vision, the people are brought to naught. If you don't see it coming, you're number two or number seven or number 23 or 114th behind Joab. But there was no position for number two. Just one commander and Joab was number one. Same thing for us. There's a lot of permission, promotions, a lot of positions, a lot of things God wants to do for all of us. But we're just slowing the gate. Well, God, God knows. God's in control. He, he, if He wants me to be first, He'll just make me first. That's not what the Bible teaches. There's a part for God to make you first if you're first, but there's a part on us to get out of the ditch, to see it before it happened and say, I'm ready for this. See, I'm in Alabama, been here 23 years, and I'm ready for what's coming. I didn't wait until I heard, wow, Alabama's on a revival fire. Let's, let's pick up our stuff and let's go to Alabama. There'll be a lot of people that do that, and yay. But I'm here now, and nobody knows why I'm here except me. But I know it's coming. So I'm Joab. Are you Joab? absolutely you're joab you're here this morning you're here in the kingdom you're you're on the edge of your seat you're in your track shoes and you've got your sword drawn you're at the right place at the right time if god wanted to bless me he just would he knows where i am if he this is what they actually say if god wanted to heal me he knows where i am he doesn't expect me to get up and go to a meeting because he's God. He can heal me right here. But he doesn't want me to go to a meeting and hear the word and get hands laid on me. Sure he does. If he does, I'm not saying he wouldn't heal anybody right there. But until you know and you, then you hear, God says, go to the meeting. Go, go, go call this person and have them come over or whatever the direction is. You go, well, God, you could do it right here. Ah, but he's the boss. His part is is to find you and prepare you and me to do the will of God, to be first out of the hole. So you got to have a vision. Is that what the Bible said? Did we read that? Without a progressive vision, the people are brought to naught. The people perish. So you got to have a vision or you're going to perish. And that just means not destroyed. It just means uh, neutralized. You're of no consequence. You're going through life and you're walking a little old lady across the street and you're you're putting your offering in and you're you're whatever you're doing that just makes you a a yes, yes, yes. But but you're brought to naught. You're emasculated, you're you're impotent, you're without consequence in your life. You just travel through. Well, if God wanted to make me important, he, He knows where I am. He does want to make us important. Uh, Jonathan quoted it uh, Wednesday. He has set the members in the body severally as it has pleased him. He is in charge in that, but, but because he set you in the body doesn't mean that he's robotically controlling you to do this and that. I have a call. I have a choice. I have a, it's, my, it's my decision, and so I have a part. He has a part to set me in the body as it pleased him, and I have a part to get my little self in the body. So that's what we do. So can you imagine having victory without a vision based on what we've just said? Can you imagine anything powerful, supernatural, over the top happening, something that you could tell your grandchildren? This is what God did for daddy, granddaddy, uh, with, and not have a vision. Boy, it took me by surprise. I never saw it coming. That was a strange thing. Well, who'd have thought? It just that's not what great men have all great men their common denominator is focus We're not focusing on the unfocused. We're focusing on what he gave us to focus on I tell y'all all all the time if God's if if uh, Somebody testified and said I believed God for a daycare and he finally gave it to me and I'm so glad I can tell you that'd be my worst day he to know the Lord said, I, I got you daycare finally. <laughs> <laughs> That's not me, Lord. <laughs> and so what's, what's blessing somebody else might not even, probably would not even be in your radar within your scope. You're like, I wouldn't want to do that. But if you want to do that and there's grace for it, you ought to do that. And God will bless you. So uh, how does God work in your life? What's his OS? What's his operating system? we got to know. we got to know how He works. We've got to know what God will do when we interact with what He's done. We have to know what the next step is. If this was checkers, this would be our move. And you go, when's God going to move again? Well, He's already moved. He's already put it in place. He's already had Holy Spirit speak to you and say, do this. Well, it sounds pretty unspiritual. It's not it's not monumental. It doesn't have consequence. But it qualifies us that if we'll do, if we'll put a dollar and a half in the plate, when we only have two dollars, it's just a dollar and a half. But if we'll do that, he knows, I think he's going to be qualifying for more. I think if I entrust him with three-fourths of what he has, I can trust him with more. And so he'll up us up. Uh, faith is progressive. You don't just put on the full thing of faith, and like, I'm an idiot one day, and I'm God's man of faith and power the next day. It's progressive. You know, we talk about it. You got to work stuff out of your thinking, negative stuff, hurts, experiences, disappointments. You got to work that stuff out or you go, ah, that doesn't make any difference. I went through that because I was dumb as a rock, or I went through that because the devil got advantage of me, or I got, I went through that because I was with the wrong people, and I let them in my life, and but it's never God. God. God, But once you get past that and say, Lord, can we have a do-over? <laughs> I like do-overs, y'all. <laughs> but I'm trying to get my life where I don't have to have do-overs. I want to get it the right the first time. So we uh, qualify. We put our dollar and a half in the plate, and the Lord says, okay, let's give him $20. Let me navigate $20 into his life, and then I'll ask for this, you know, just whatever, whatever, whatever. It's, it's progressive. You learn how to trust him, and he can trust you. Because he doesn't want to blow up people. You go, well, why can't God trust me? Because all the important stuff has to do with us interacting with people. And God likes people. So he's not going to build you up and increase you, but in the process, wreck some people. So how does he do it? He works with money. He works with inconsequential things, things that don't affect people. He said, I want you to be in this meeting, or I want you to give $10, or I want you to go in whatever, whatever, but it doesn't have anything to do with people when you're starting out because he's good. Aren't you glad that God didn't send somebody to experiment on you and wreck you as they wrecked? Well, he's that good. So money is real important to God because if he can't trust you in money, he will never give you people. If you're not faithful over little, he cannot make you master over many things, which is people. People is the highest thing there is. Everything. Your job, your home, your, your, how you comb your hair left side, right side, all, if anything has consequence, it has consequence with people. Money is not a, a like, oh, I got money now. I, I've been Money is just for people. That's why we say there's plenty more where that came from because as soon as you loose yourself to people... Then he resupplies you. He said, We need to fund that. I like this. This is what I, this is the kingdom, is helping people. And getting, one thing he does, a paymaster in Romans chapter 12 talks about how he gives us money so he can move it around. You know, America has got a great interstate system and an amazing train and truck system, and we move a vast amount of goods around. We, we, it has to be here. You, you see trucks on I-20 and I-40, they're just stacked up and there's just a few cars in between. Well, God has to move money around kind of like that. He moves it around on the earth because he can't grow it on trees and he's not a counterfeiter. So he doesn't just have money pop up in a general sense. He has people get money. He gives them money. He moves money into their life. And then he says to them, I want you to take money over here. That's his trucking system. That's his transit system. That's his distribution uh, system. And so he's always looking for somebody that will say, give me $1,000, Lord, and I'll deliver it. But almost all people say, he gave me $1,000, and I'm, I'm eating out real good this year. Well, okay, that's a one-shot deal. You're one and done. God gave you $1,000. He's going to wait until you can master $5 again. You've got to start over. Doesn't that sound like what you would do with your children or with your employees? It, it just, it's not even like, this is weird. It's common sense. And God's real common sense. He's just got lots of stuff in him. So what we do with our money is inconsequential to the church. You give your money to, to the church and you go, ah, I put it in there. and nobody I put $10 in there and it's almost all I had. And nobody called and said, boy, we're really grateful. Because it's not for the church. Our needs are supplied from heaven. And if you don't, he will another way. Because right, he has to answer my faith. It's not because he sees I, we have a need. He has to answer my faith as pastor. In your home, he has to answer your faith. And everybody says, we're not going to help. He has to answer it in a donkey, in a fish, in a what? He's got to answer your faith. So it's not like, well, God didn't bless me because nobody would obey. Yeah. He'll he'll just go around the corner and get somebody else. Sometimes, I've heard this said, and you probably have too, people will say, I'm here in this ministry position, but I was not God's first pick. I was old number, I heard it one time, I was 26. But it's not uncommon to be number four or five on God's pecking order that he asked four people before you, and they all said no. I don't know how many people he asked to come to Alabama from Texas before me. And, you know, if you wanted a quick gratification, so, so, yeah, I showed up in Alabama back in 1996, and within a year, I was this, and I had that, and people were calling and coming and everything. <laughs> There's no quick gratification. You have to get your security from God about hearing God. You've got to get it down here. Because some st- sometimes things, like Melissa said, his timetable is different than our timetable. And besides... He's working stuff out and working stuff in. I go back to Moses all the time. I'm so impressed with what the Lord did with Moses. Moses had a unique relationship with Pharaoh. He's one of very few, if not the only one, that could walk, could could get an audience with Pharaoh himself because of who he was. So it wasn't like he was looking for 20 guys, but he had to get Moses where he would go because he was in a bad mood. You know Moses was in a bad mood after all that stuff. That Pharaoh did. Uh, But he had to get Moses where he would not only go, but he would want to go. And then when he went, he could say the right thing, which was let my people go. And if you don't do it, God's going to smite you. He's going to bite you. He's going to take you out. Well, that took apparently 40 years on the wilderness, the backside of the desert, and and best I I looked it up and just you know kind of looked at it and it's ten to twelve times that Moses went in to talk to Pharaoh. And then he was done. You know he led the people out, but then he's, you know then he then he messed up after that. He struck the rock twice and it. So you got to stay on all the time. You can't just say, well, I did it right one time. So he's he's working stuff in and working stuff out. So if you don't come to church and you don't read your Bible, you're, you're neutralized. You, you don't have a vision. You're, you're set at naught, the Word says. You, you're, just, you're just someone that's in the kingdom, a part, of, a part of the flow, but you're not leading, you're not uh, consequential, you're not powerful, you're not affecting others, you're just here. And someday, God says, I'm going to gather everybody up, great and small, and we're all going to come to heaven. What a great day, but it could be better. We could have a great life down here. And you go, well, I'll just sacrifice this life down here. But the truth is in the millennial reign, say a thousand years, a thousand years, what you get to do then depends on what you paid attention to now. If you don't do jack for God now, you'll be on the back row in heaven. That's my personal perspective. And I have scripture for it, of course, but it is important. It's not just getting by with what the world has right now. Uh, so let's talk about wealth for a minute. Let's talk about a vision for wealth. Y'all got time for just a little more? Amen. So there's questions that that we have to ask, we have to answer about mastering our wealth. God expects you to master your money. It is not a thing that says, "Well, I can live under the bridge." And it's good enough. And I'll share Jesus. It's not enough. There's a testimony of who we are in Him that must be demonstrated. We don't live above our means. We don't don't go into debt to look like we're good. But there's a liberality a freedom. We're generous. We're generous people because we believe there's plenty more where that came from. Say generous. Generous. I'm telling you, it's a hallmark that heaven loves is generous. Because it means... There's plenty more where that came from. He he brought me this. He'll bring me more. It wasn't mine. I just uh, I had it to handle. I was a I was a handler. You don't think the pl- the payroll clerk at a large company thinks it's his money that's going out? He's just writing the checks, a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred. Thousand, he's just writing the checks, but none of it. He can go home at night and say, "Man, tell mama, man, I spent a lot of money today." She'll say, was it your money? No, it was his money. It was their money. Well, it's not our money. It's his money. I mean, it is our money. We're in complete control of it. We're completely stewards of it. So we take over that ownership, but we're expected to to, to obey him. So here's some questions about mastering wealth. Why do some people have it and some don't? You have to master that question. Why do some people, heathen people, he, pagan people that are stacked up here. We just went to the Biltmore, and it's, it had 250 rooms. It was on 80,000 acres at one time. I mean, it's just, it's, it's so extravagant. I told Debra Ann, I said, it's like going to heaven. It's, it's kind of a demonstration on earth of, of complete overdue. Oh, it just, you know, had a lighted swimming pool in 1895 underneath all this huge thing. They said the foundation had to go down 26 feet to hold this thing up. He had to build a railroad to get stone and the, uh, and the materials into his place. I mean, it's just opulent in, in the sense of its day. It's, uh, and so that's just a demonstration. Well, why does he have it? Because I asked a guide, I said, did this Mr. Uh, Vanderbilt, was he a spiritual man? And, you know, anybody will tell you anything, their perspective. He said, sure he was. He built a church in town for him and his family and whoever else wanted to come. It's called All Saints Episcopal Church. And that's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) Hallelujah. So why do some people have it and some don't? Because we have Billy Graham. We have, uh, 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 what's his son's name? Franklin. We have Franklin Graham. I mean, he's, he's, he's doing a great work, but he's having to pull and, and uh, plan and everything. He doesn't, he's not Vanderbilt. So why do some people have it and some don't? And uh, if, you, if you do have it, can you lose it? Can you lose money that you once have? Huh. If you don't have it, can you get it? Like if you raised one way, and we're talking about vision here. We're talking about getting you ready, ready. How am I going to get where I think God's taking me, but I'm on the wrong road? I'm on the wrong... This, this thing's going to Romania that we're on, <laughs> you know, or somewhere. Sorry about you Romanians, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not going where I want to go. But where do you want to go? I don't know, wherever the Lord wants me to be. That's not how it works. I'm just a leaf on the stream, and wherever He wants them to be... Good enough. That's not good enough. Right place, right time. Because we're all, each one of us, born into this generation and this nation and this gender and this... Whatever you are. Not everybody's tall, dark, and handsome like me. <laughs> Hallelujah. But you got to just take what you got and go with it. Um, should you want to get wealth... That's a question everybody's going to have to ask. Should you want to? Well, I don't want to. A lot of people say that. A lot of religious people say it. Secretly, they are lusting for money. Lusting for it. They are envious and greedy for money. But they'll be the most pious and the most... uh, It's just okay. It's not okay in their heart. Uh, So if you get money, what the next question is, is what are you supposed to do with it that's a question you have to master we all have to master that in the in the scene of a vision a progressive vision i got to know what to do with money that he gives it to me, to me uh and how will you do it will god just and so uh i was thinking about lotto winners now i could be i'd be wrong but i'd say most lottery winners that get vast amounts of money Used to, a long time ago, when I was much younger, you know, the lotto was $5 million, And everybody's just like, wow, what would you do with that kind of money? But now it's $300 million or $600 million or maybe even a lot of money after that. I don't know. But almost nobody, see if you agree with me, almost nobody is prepared for that kind of life that receives it. So, so wealth has you asking for wealth is not the key to getting wealth listen to me asking for wealth needing wealth is not the key our key is not to ask for it over and over and over lord 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 send me send me send me i got to have got to have it's developing, developing a capacity for wealth expanding it well how you do that with a vision god's not going to fund a a million a uh, $50 vision with a million dollars. Listen to me. He's not going to fund a, a, a $50 vision with a million dollars. He's smart. So what do you need to get a million dollars in your life? Have a million dollar vision. Not just some fairy tale. Well, if I had this, I'd do that. I'm talking about one that you go, I'm going to give my life to it. That's who I am. That's what I am. And that's what I'll do. Well, then God can fund it because we have a capacity for it. Remember in uh, 3 John 2, it says, Beloved, I wish or pray above all things that you may prosper and be in health. How? Even as your soul prospers. That scripture is talking about success. That if you want things on the outside, if you are called to have something, to do something or have something on the outside, you have to prosper. You have to have success in your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions. Because we're already perfect in our spirit, aren't we? We're born again by the blood of Jesus. We're re from above. So nothing has to happen down here, but plenty of renovation needs to go on up here. Because we're little. I tell you, if you go to the Biltmore, and if you went, ah, seen, seen stuff like that, you're just lying. Because it's the largest single residence house ever built in America. I don't know about Europe, but probably it's 250 rooms and they're not just closets. They're big boys. Some of them are servants quarters, some of them are closets, but there's lots of rooms that this wouldn't be the closet to it. And you go, where do you get that on the... How do you ever even want that or plan that? Well, this man, though he's carnal, I mean, excuse me, I didn't mean to judge Mr. Vanderbilt, I don't know, but he was quite the visionary he he how did he get that well his father doubled the original mr vanderbilt's fortune which was a hundred million his father doubled it so that'd be about 200 million wouldn't it and then this is the grandson of the of the of the original tycoon and he had money everywhere well you money gives you a vision you're not looking at the dollar deal at McDonald's when you have $100 million and saying, you know, cheese, if you get cheese, it's 50 cents cheaper if you don't get cheese. That's not who you are. you got, you got a vision that says, you want to buy McDonald's? So he had that, and it worked for him. How much more? And it was a carnal vision because he's gone, and I don't know if he's in heaven or somewhere else. And he's left this marvelous edifice, this marvelous resort or, or attraction, nine to ten thousand people a day, three hundred and sixty-five days a year, visit that at sixty-five dollars a pop. That's lightning fast means that's 540,000 a day. Half a million a day. And plus they're selling groceries and souvenirs. People were so happy to be in the gift shop and just hauling it out. Oh, oh. <laughs> so there's just money everywhere. So why does this man have money and you and I don't have money? Because he was born into a place that demanded a vision and we weren't. So we have to put on one. you got to put it on. How do you put it on? You put, it in the, you put your head in the big vision book. Ephesians 3.20 Exceeding abundantly above all that you've ever asked or even imagined, above what you were raised in, above what you uh, uh, were taught. How do you get that? You've got to get out of your thinking and get into the Word because the Word does not conform to man's thinking or man's limitations. It's the Word. It's God's Word. And so if you got in there, you'd have a vision. You'd have a vision. You can't perish with your thoughts coming out of this. You cannot go down when you're in that and you're thinking like God. You go, well, we can't think like God. Well, then why do we have the mind of Christ? Oh, that's the God kind of mind. It's down here. Remember, it's down here. This thing's up here, weighs about eight pounds. This down here is eternal. So I wrote down here, prosperity is not money but you can't have prosperity without money. Is that right? That's right. So if you go, man, I got a million dollars, I'm prosperous. <laughs> I can be prosperous with $150. The guy's under the bridge. Now listen, the homeless, they don't have any money or don't have much, and they think they're prospering. You put them, take them and say, we're going to put you in the shelter, we're going to put you in a new apartment. They all bail. In one year, they're all out living under the street again. Because they, they can't handle that. So everybody must answer the money question. I have to answer it. You have to answer it. You, you may be a long time before you started answering in age, but you got to answer it if you want to do anything for God. You cannot advance your life. Listen, you cannot advance your life without a vision of money, of prosperity, of supply, of being funded. You will live in a little world. If you don't know where funding's coming from, you will not step out of the boat, so to speak. You will not be Joab. You'll be number 73 that came up after Joab. And they said, you, number 73, you'll be a private. (laughs) You over here, you're number 22. We'll make you a sergeant. But you will never be the commander in chief. If you don't have a vision about money, you don't know what to do with funding. We say money, but it's actually funding. It's a supply. It's your it's your heavenly visa, as it were. We just charge. This is my company card. We're just charging it to the company card. And you do heaven's business based on heaven's resources. Not on, well, we've never had we've never done that. Listen to this. Increase is progressive. Now, you know that nobody went unless they went to a lotto and got a gazillion dollars one day after they had nothing. But even then, that's not prosperity, is it? That's just money. You just got control over something for a season of time. But uh, so sometimes you can experience a big spurt, but all increase all is progressive. It's it's line upon line here a little, there a little. not that what Isaiah says if that's how the kingdom works, so we need to get started see if you can't just just do you know in in school sometimes when you had a low grade in biology, they'd let you have a, come in and do a, and get extra you what would they call that you do extra work you extra credit there you go, and you could somehow by the grace of god in a in a sympathetic teacher get you get it where your dad did, just didn't beat your just didn't thrash you when you got home. Well, everybody thinks it's extra credit with heaven, but it's not. Faithful over little, master over much. Everybody Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagan, Oral Roberts, Billy Graham, everybody that was ever somebody was first a nobody that did God's work as if they were a somebody. So you got to be about the master's business. You got to show up in this auditorium like 300 people are coming. And yet you have no experience with that. N- never saw 300. Never, nobody, nothing in you visually or e- experientially would say. That's probably right. But you just got to show up because you've seen it. Yep, saw that. Doesn't matter to me when or how, but I saw that. So, um, listen, we'll, we'll quit with this. People with hundreds, there's hundreds thinkers, hundreds believers, hundreds vision. And uh, they think and believe and live in terms of hundreds. Now, stay with me here. They're in the hundred dollar flow. They rarely handle a thousand dollars. Rarely. They make their money. They Their money comes in. They're paid in Hundreds. Well, I made twenty-one hundred this month. I made thirty-five hundred this month. I made seventy, whatever. So they spend in hundreds, and listen, they give in hundreds. And would that be right? Am, am, I, am I on track here? Because that's where they are. That's where their vision is. We get paid in hundreds. So we're going to give in hundreds. We're going to buy in hundreds. We're going to, we're going to buy, get of this and live a that, and a drive of this based on hundreds. But then there's other people that have used, to, started out at hundreds, but their life, their living, their thinking, their vision is in thousands. How many of y'all would like to live there for a little while, live in thousands? They get paid in thousands. Well, how much did you get paid? Ten thousand this month. Ten thousand this week. Well, how do you think? Well, I buy in thousands and I give in thousands. They rarely handle ten thousand. They you know, do you make sixty thousand dollars a week? Sixty thousand dollars a month? No, no, I make six thousand. And so I give according to my thinking. I give according to my vision. I I receive this money in a thousand, increments of a thousand. Therefore, I live, I drive, I, I, I invest based on a thousand, and then I give according to thousands. Are y'all catching this? Then when you master that level, and how do you master that level? You master that level by stepping out of that level. Even though you're only making and thinking and giving in hundreds, you push it beyond what you are normally experiencing and say, I have a dream for giving a thousand dollars. I remember the first time we gave a thousand dollars. It was quite dramatic. <laughs> we we had done the do. We had we had stepped over there and gave a thousand. And you go, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, it was no big deal to people that are used to handling a thousand, but we were hundreds of people. So when we stepped over to the thousand, it's like you are something. And we were. We were for us. But to Vanderbilt or anybody else like that, it's like, I'll leave that for a tip. Right? So then then you go to 10,000, same scenario. You get paid or get your investments come back in, in increments of 10,000. You live in increments of 10,000, 10,000s. You buy a seventy thousand dollar car with cash. Are y'all with me? Or maybe you pay it out, but but you got a you got a seventy or a ninety thousand dollar car, and so you sure enough live in a big house, and that's how you think. But you never touch a hundred thousand when you're in that realm. You never get over there. But one day you step out. Either it was an in, in increment uh, a increase that came in, and you had it and instead of. Crowding down around it and saying we got to save this, we got to protect this. This is our rainy day fund. You go, let's give it, and it gets you out of the ten thousand dollar round puts you in the hundred thousand where you start thinking, I make four hundred thousand dollars a year, and you and I give in hundred thousands. I'm talking about that's how you would think. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about how anybody would think. Y'all got that? I thought somebody moved in their in their context right there. Hallelujah, and so. Uh, Guess what comes after 100,000? It's millions. Do you know people like Bill Gates? They don't make money anymore. Money's just flowing in. It's a river. They they have to build up the banks because it's such a river, it'll overflow. What they do all day, their work is to give it away. They are philanthropists. And they negotiate and strategize where they want their influence, their life work to be noted, and they'll start foundations and they'll some of them have more money than some nations. This is the truth. Honduras and Guatemala, you know, there's lots of people in America that have more money than them. I suppose. I mean, there's, there's certainly nations that are there. So, uh, the, the largest donation that was ever given to River Church, listen to me, was given by a church, and it was $30,000. One day, $30,000 came in. Uh, and, uh, but until... Uh, without a vision to change that 30,000, it became the ceiling. That's all you could ever have. That's all anybody would ever give you. That's all the kingdom would allow because without a vision for more than 30, in this, you would, you would be brought to naught. You could never do more than 30 unless you said, bless God, we can do more than 30. Not we can, but you know. We have a vision that's going to take 100000 And you just start resting on that saying, we claim it. We call it in for this vision to be funded. And suddenly, but without that, you go, whoo, we're going to pay the bills. And we're going to just sit back and, and not let ourselves get in that position anymore. We got a little credit card debt or we got a little student loan debt or we got a little whatever debt people get into. We're, just going to, we're never going to let that happen again. Well, that is your ceiling then. And you are stopped, you are nullified, you are neutralized, you are emasculated. Whatever the word is you want, you, you, are, you are brought to naught. You go, no, God can send many money anywhere he wants to. That's, that's what we talked about at the first, that you've got to know God's OS. You've got to know how he operates. And he does not just deal out cards at a, at a poker game and say, I'm giving queens and aces to you, and I'm giving threes and fours to you. That's not what it is. Everybody has an opportunity to get inside and make this thing as big as this progressively and be a Vanderbilt or be a greater than Vanderbilt for the kingdom. Wouldn't it be awesome if someone like him could fund the kingdom and would fund the kingdom? But almost all people are stopped Because they got more than they, they handled more than they ever thought they would. And they stopped. So how about your life, my life? Let me just tell you something, and we will quit with this. Drama is a necessary experience for a spiritual life. When we take communion, that's drama. Drama is not always negative. I don't like drama people that are just over the top and just silly. But when we take communion, we are going through the drama of receiving something that's bigger and beyond ourselves and our experience. We lay hands on the sick. Now, there's actually an impartation there, but they see us. We speak words to people. We don't just say, "Mm, okay, it's done. You get it? Be healed. And then we also... Have to have a drama. You got to remember the experience of your new birth. What happened at your new birth? You go, well, I didn't have anything, which is pretty much my testimony. So I just went back and constructed it and just said, you know, this happened and this happened. Somewhere right in here, I got born again. Now, I've told you all a hundred times about my uh, getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. Ah. Uh, That's a drama. I I go back and say that's what happened, and I'll never be less than that. So I got to be more than that. I got to have a vision that's beyond that. So you got to have. Listen, you got to have a vision of being out of debt. You got to have. You got to attach drama to that. In other words, getting out of debt. Okay, how could that happen? How could it be that you were paid out of debt? Well, nobody can even think of that. You don't know anybody with that much money. Is that right? Generally speaking, you don't know anybody with that money. You're not, you don't have anybody over you that's going to go to their heavenly home that says, eh, maybe, maybe Uncle Jack will leave it. So you have to have a vision that's contrary to certain people doing certain things. You've got to have a vision of, of supernatural experience, that it came out of an unexpected place, like when the church was paid off. It's just like like my 40th anniversary the other day. Like, wow. <laughs> oh, that was so over the top. Uh, so you've got to dramatize things. Not like, well, if it happens, it happens. I don't know how it could happen. No, you don't, but you've got to dramatize. Moses struck the rock and water. We'll talk about this another time. But water that would form a lake came out. The quail that came in for meat because they complained they said we're tired of bread and i guess 40 years of bread is a little little monotonous (laughs) so god sent in millions of quail from the sea and they just landed right there and they fed the israelites jesus fed the five thousand. you know that story and all that was left over all those things are are beyond two coins in a fish's mouth i mean god's got ways so you don't have a rich Uncle Jack? Ah, you got a fishing pole, don't you? <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You, you got neighbors that'll loan you vessels, and the, and the little urn, the little, the little thing will just pour out until you can pay off all your debts. you you got to have a vision of it happening versus being stopped by why it couldn't happen. And until you get past that and lock in, It's happening. It's mine i have I see myself debt free so I can see myself making others debt free. Oh, that's a vision, not just debt free like who wouldn't that be great, but having a vision of making others debt free That's my dream that's my dream i I don't need anything. I don't need anything y'all. I am real happy with what I've got and what I drive and where we i mean. Okay, they could it could be we could do some things, maybe, but I'm real happy. Are you real happy? We are, but we have a vision for others, for people, and God likes that. He's impressed by that now not that thing that stacks it up. Well, we won't talk about it now. We'll talk another time, but you remember in Malachi where God says, Listen, God said, If you'll handle your money this way' I'll open windows of heaven that you can't get around. And everybody wants to fuss over what's the tithe and how's this. He just says, if you'll handle your money, in other words, if you'll handle your heart and get a vision for doing things my way, you'll step out of this earth or this realm or this limitation, and you'll step over into a realm that has no limitation. I can tell you Mr. Vanderbilt had no limitation. Him and his builder went to Europe three times, they said and just saw things and brought back things and just it's stacked up some 250 rooms of things that are just you just didn't even know that could be done on the earth and yet it's 100 years old it's uh 1895 so it's more than 100 years old It'd be about 120 years, 25 years old and yet and yet and yet they had elevators they had uh, electricity they had hot hot heated pool you go how's that that's who we are. That's who I am. That's who you should be. Amen. So, Father, we surrender this morning to the heavenly OS, the operating system of heaven, heaven's way of doing business. We take our eyes off of what we see, and we, we look to those things which cannot be seen. Lord, I thank you that our imagination is stirred this morning to get out of our little one-horse rut and get into a stampede Lord, I thank you right now that the plans of God are big, they're bold. You're not using special people, you're making special people. And so, Lord, we just surrender to it and we say, Lord, here am I, send me. I don't know otherwise why you would quali- I'd be qualified, but that's natural too. So, Lord, if anybody's born again as a child of God, I'm qualified today to be used of God. Gideon was a nobody doing nothing, and you used him. You used David, use us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Did you pray that prayer with me? Hallelujah. So thank you for tuning in today to River Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Come back on Wednesday night. We'll be here and on and on and on. God bless you.